0: it's the essay community radio talk show. This is Michael James Lauren your host. Acting 2.0 doing work that gets work in the high-tech world. We have the author, famed acting coach Anthony Abson and Jennifer Aniston wrote about him. Anthony helps actors find the honesty in every moment. So for any actor to just have a moment with Anthony or a class with him or by luck have his words to read and reread. She says one will be twice or three times the actor ford and he joins us welcome to the program And by Hamilton Stands, founded in 1883 in Hamilton, Ohio, Hamilton Stands is the oldest music and instrument stand maker in the world. They offer a broad range of sheet music stands, band and orchestra instrument stands, and combo stands, including mic stands, guitar and keyboard stands, and accessories. In fact, the broadcast you're listening to is made using a Hamilton stage rocker mic stand. Visit HamiltonStands.com. And great audio starts with great gear. And Zoom's 30-year reputation promises quality and affordability. Visit zoom-na.com today for recorders, audio interfaces, effects pedals, and more. We're Zoom, and we're for creators. Over 30 years in New York teaching the best in the the business, anyone who wants to be an actor. How do you feel about all these years?
1: Well, I'm very lucky and very blessed because I get to do what I love. I, I work very long hours. I'm 73, and yet it doesn't feel arduous to me. It feels joyful.
0: Yeah, I mean, you, you know, there are a lot of people that are waiting tables or maybe trying to become an actor in, in all different scenarios, but uh, have you always done what you wanted to do? Yes. You have? Uh, wow. <laughs> when I was a little boy, I
1: uh, I knew that After I went through very brief phases of wanting to be a paleontologist, wanting to be a pianist, wanting to be a tap dancer, those things didn't last very long. From an early age, I knew I wanted to be an actor, and that gradually transformed into being an actor and a teacher.
0: Yes, and you have once again not only Jennifer Aniston, but some of the other best in the business. Reno Wilson from Mike and Molly, and uh, Jimmy Walk. And um, so, do you still get uh, love mail from from Jenna, <laughs> Jennifer Aniston? I mean, you still talk to her. She, uh, I've you know looked at uh, drubbed up interviews about her, and uh, she still talks about you.
1: Well, uh, I'm, I'm, it always touches me when any of my former students remember anything that we experience together because it's very special to work with talent.
0: A lot of people have thanked you for writing this book, Acting 2.0, doing work that gets work in a high-tech world. Uh, One of the reasons it seems like acting can be a little heady, a little emotional. It seems like you've categorized all the finest schools of acting, uh, Stella Adler, uh, Lee Strasberg, others, and you worked under him, obviously. Um, But the claim to fame of the book is that you've made it simple for people to actually grasp and understand. It seems like these books can be complicated. And I think that's a, a feather in your cap for just doing that.
1: Well, thank you, Michael. I would say that the, the real danger is not the complication. It is the oversimplification. And by that, I mean that we're living in a time of a uh, great recipe orientation, uh, where, at least in the American acting community, you have to do it this way or you have to do it that way. And Stanislavski, who was the first person to ever investigate acting, he said something that I I most probably quote several times a day, every day, no recipes, whatever works. Hmm. The thing that is very uh, scary and also I think irreligious is when uh, a particular school decides you've got to only do it this way because I don't think you can have recipes for human beings. And so what I've tried to do is is, is share that with my students and say, listen, I worked with people who couldn't stand each other. <laughs> it, <it's, laughs> Adler and Lee Strasberg, for example, famously uh, didn't get along, uh, which has to this day caused a rift in the American acting community. Mm. That's inoculated me against the idea that there's only one way of working. And I think that as soon as you start to think there's a recipe for human beings, you're on dangerous ground.
0: Yeah, one thing I was really comforted in your book, uh, right from the very beginning, it said that uh, Anne Frank was not hot. You begin to talk about, <laughs> you don't have to be hot to be able to be an actor. I felt so relieved, you know, because, of course, my wife, she looks at me with rose colored glasses. She sees Brad Pitt. Everyone else does, does not. <laughs> so, um, but you look at people, especially like singer songwriters, uh, just for a minute, like uh, Barry Manilow or, you know, uh, Billy Joel. The, the, there were so many people, they weren't the kind of, you know, Photoshopped looks that you see today. Okay. They weren't, if you will, hot by today's standards. Let's just rule out right away that you don't have to be hot to make it as an actor. Is that right?
1: Well, it's, it's unfortunate, Michael, you're, you are identifying a, a trend which has only gotten more defined in the last several decades of, uh, the article, this chapter in my book, to referring to, was a, uh, taken from an editorial I wrote for the Washington Post. And my point was that in the past, there was a, a balance between looks and talent. And it seems like more and more and more, uh, it's uh, being weighted, the equ- equation is being more and more heavily weighted in terms of looks than on talent. And of course, our job is to say, you know what, uh, it really shouldn't be about that. And if you are brilliant at what you do, uh, maybe just maybe you're going to be able to book the job even though you're not a model. And nowadays, Michael, we have a whole other problem, uh, even though you may not have a certain amount of Twitter followers. Yeah. A lot of casting nowadays is not just on looks. It's on your social media
0: following. Um, um, I didn't know that. Wow. Yes, it's terrifying. I mean, it affects and that, also that too, huh? <laughs> has nothing to do with talent. Wow. So you know something? I, I was I thought when I graduated from high school, right? I told a, a relative of mine, "I'm so happy because you know going through the awkward stage all through high school." And he said, "I got news for you. When you get out, it's still like high school. It doesn't change. There's a certain amount of popularity." a certain amount of clicks and things, and some things just don't change. Some, some do, obviously. But uh, it looks like with social media, we're back in high school.
1: Well, you know what? I'm, I'm not very good at social media. I, I uh, recommend you uh, to look at our e- emails of earlier today when I really was at a loss of how to even make this happen. But anything that seems to be irrelevant to talent should not be relevant to talent
0: yeah you know because i i looked at these anthony hopkins movies or the emma thompson movies or i'm just saying these movies that were these big blockbuster you know academy award-winning best actor type of type of movies where it was that by the pedigree of their performance Mainly, you know, a great storyline and so forth, and I and I just noticed that they vanish more and more. You see explosions, and and uh, I don't want to blame Adam Sandler or anything, but I mean, I noticed that <laughs> I noticed that uh, you know it, it dumbed down a lot.
1: Well, Eric Bentley, who was a great uh, writer and theorist, theorist in, in acting, who was one of my teachers at Columbia, he once said, "This was." decades ago but it's still true we have a mediocre culture and theater to match
0: interesting how about well, you when you first started you were you're you were, you're were, you were very dapper still you know and okay,
1: uh, michael may i interrupt you for one second yeah, yeah please I yes to say though
0: yes that,
1: uh, i think it was uh, Eleanor roosevelt who said it's better to light a candle than curse the darkness uh one of the things that i'm trying to do with my actors is to say you know what okay there's this terrible Uh, emphasis on looks more and more. There's this terrible emphasis on Twitter followers. There's a lot of stuff happening in the culture that's not necessarily uh, elevated, but I try to suggest to the actors who have talent that they have a, uh, a social responsibility and that they've had that since the beginning of time, which is to be runways for the human spirit and that we don't have to accept it. That I think a lot of the actor's job is to, uh, is to light that candle.
0: You mentioned that. You said acting is not about you. It's about what you say Helen Hayes called adding something to the lives of that audience out there. And audiences need you more than ever as they uh, are in the world that we're living in. So you say that... Uh, and I bet that uh, you know good talent can reach just about anyone because, as you say, it soars above the human spirit. And right. uh, in a no-Twitter... A uh, follower can contain that, you know, <laughs> it's just something that has to live and breathe. And I'm sure that so that must be the fun part where, you know, you see every day different kinds of talent. And I'm sure you don't judge it because some talent uh, takes a long time to cultivate. And others, you could probably say, well, that guy's going to be a star. She's going to be yeah. a star. You could probably well, I, say that.
1: I, I, as you saw most probably from my book or from what Jennifer has written, uh, I started working with Jennifer when she was in high school at the uh, High School of Performing Arts. And um, I uh, I said then, and I still say now, because people are quick to, to give me credit for her success. And I say, Jennifer was ready for prime time when she was 18.
0: <laughs> really? Uh,
1: and then other people, uh, there was a thing called the development of talent. And that's something that I do. And that's when you're not ready for prime time, but you could be. But it requires a certain amount of development.
0: Hey, Anthony, and I, I have a double A battery on me. I want to give it to you for that alarm you have in the background. That's going. <laughs> <I'm> just kidding. <laughs> you hear that? I mean, they usually when you know the battery's low, that thing chirps and goes. I anyhow. Just just kidding. Just kidding. But okay. so okay, and uh, so now. As far as New York, is that still the place that people prefer to go, or is Los Angeles, or or both? And do you work with people from both coasts?
1: I do work with people from both coasts. Uh, This is a very old question, Michael. The answer is still the same, but it is perhaps a little different in degree rather than in kind. Uh, It is still true that L.A. is where most of the jobs are. However, uh, New York has more and more been giving L.A. a run for its money. There's more and more stuff that's being shot here. And I noticed that Atlanta is
0: now
1: becoming very, very active as well. So I'd still say L.A. has most of the jobs, most of the action. Uh, New York is now a much closer second than it used to be. And uh, I guess I'm calling the horse race Atlanta's
0: coming up from beyond. (laughs) They sure are. So uh, it's so interesting how there are different reasons why people want to be an actor. Do you ask that question first or do you not pass judgment on it? Do you say no? If you, you know, for whatever reason you want to be an actor, that's fine. Or or are you always curious?
1: This is a, uh, to a great extent, Michael, it's a calling. And uh, you can't teach appetite. If they have the appetite, for example, just to audition for my classes, it requires preparing a monologue, which means finding one, memorizing one, making an appointment, showing up for that appointment. If you have the appetite, which can't be taught, then that's already maybe maybe a sign that there's something there. Now, don't get me wrong. There are a lot of people that have appetite. <laughs> that don't necessarily have talent. But if they manage to make it to the audition and they manage to pass that audition, uh, then I'm not interested in anything else except the fact that there is a precious commodity there called talent that deserves to be developed.
0: You talk about in categor, uh, you know, categorize or catalog all the famous um, acting coaches. You're one of them. And the people that, uh, that you admired and you put it in your book, you cuisinarted it, if you will, you know, so people could really get a good understanding because obviously that's the fabric of acting is uh, people like James Dean or Marlon Brando, or you have to go back even further. Um, do you like the evolution today or, or do we maybe need to go back a little bit to be able to borrow from the way acting used to be? Well, I'm not sure what you mean by evolution. Uh, Well, I mean, the human condition, does it change? Because I know that they say that when Marlon Brando became an actor, that uh, it changed the landscape of of acting to some degree. And so uh, have you seen an evolution a change as far as different styles of acting? And then here we are in this day and age. And do you like what you see?
1: Brando made a tremendous change because uh, until Brando, uh, Broadway was predominantly uh, drawing room comedies where people were often dressed in evening clothes. Uh, They carried themselves uh, like British actors. Uh, They spoke uh, with a sort of transatlantic accent. And it was said of Brando that he was the first actor to break the line. And what does that mean? That means that he was the first actor to slouch on a Broadway stage. And that was a very big uh, change, because now it was not just a a certain social class that was being constantly represented. Uh, It was a a whole other, uh, much more street, blue-collar kind of class that spoke a certain way. Odette's had a a great contribution to make in this area as well with his language. we saw from there uh, a great Tennessee Williams was around the same time, Arthur Miller. We started to see more and more uh, working class people, real people talking about real concerns in their lives. The, the change that I'm seeing now is mostly on the developmental area hmm. uh, in terms of the acting, uh, because of all the devices, their ability to concentrate, uh, their ability to sustain focus has been severely uh, affected. And that is a, as I say, that's a very technical problem uh, for the actor, but the concentration has been smashed. Uh, on another level, I would say that whereas in the 30s, and again in the 60s, there was a tremendous awareness of, and a, uh, uh, an, uh, an embrace of this thing called ideas. Uh, not so much now. Uh, Nowadays, when you ask uh, even very talented actors, what's the idea of this material? They will say love. Uh, They'll give me a noun. Uh, Love is not
0: an idea. (laughs) Uh, My grandma, I had a Nana who lived in Boca Raton, Florida and God rest her soul. She said, Michael, you can't live on love. You can't. That's an idea.
1: (laughs) That is an idea, good for (laughs) you.
0: Yeah, she was a smart lady.
1: But uh, nowadays, again, uh, and that is also related to not only the actor's uh, lack of an awareness of an idea, uh, but also in the material. The material, Michael, this is not a golden age. Yes, there are exceptions, and we we revere and applaud them, but more and more, the uh, material is less and less. And um it is if, you, if, if I may, uh, the ideas that are a big part of why the Russian actors say acting can change people's minds.
0: Do we are we talking to minds and hearts or just that you imply that as well?
1: Well, it is the it is the writer with the idea, and then it is the actor with the heart that, that sells that idea.
0: I see, I see what you're saying. But the reason I ask is you say that we, we don't need to be consumers. And you talk about in the book that um, I guess that things, I'm just wondering if we're going to remember movies today the way that we remembered movies years ago, you know, that stood the test of time. And I'm wondering why, but like crazy uh, Asian, what is that movie out there today? It's a crazy rich Asians. That's uh, a that movie in 20 years from now. Maybe, maybe it's. I, I,
1: well, um, that's a whole other thing, Michael. One of my students is actually in that movie. Wow. Very small part, but, we will remember that movie for uh, a lot of reasons. And one of them is that um, a whole group of talented actors who have previously been deprived of an opportunity to showcase their talent has now been given such showcase. And um, that is... In addition to some other things about that movie, that's a very significant thing. My own, my youngest daughter is Chinese. We adopted her uh, when she was three months old, and so naturally, I have a, a connection to this. But when when a movie is a breakthrough uh, for a whole group of people, that's right away why you're going to remember it. Uh, there was also uh, a certain amount of uh, really rich conflicts of ideas there, uh, the um, the struggle between love and tradition, between uh, economics and uh, and the spirit. And I think that, in fact, there might be several reasons why we're going to remember that movie. I know a lot of Asian actors are going to remember that movie for sure.
0: And it's something that I didn't expect that answer either (laughs) that you gave because uh, it's taking people by storm because uh, people who are attending, uh, uh, people who are grandmas or great grandmas, the whole family's coming out for that. And it is interesting how things go. uh, That's one good thing about today, right? When things go viral in social media. That that's something that's that special something that you know you either try to find and and it's a talent or something that has to see the light of day or something that can bring people to laugh or cry or something. So are you amazed by this? Well, and things go viral that uh, how they touch the human spirit.
1: Well, anything that touches the human spirit, Michael, I think is to be cherished. Uh, I have a very dim view of a lot of the uh, the ways the technology, as I said earlier, can. Uh, really distract young people and impair their ability to concentrate. And at the same time, if you think about it, uh, more and more uh, people are being made aware of, for example, uh, police brutality, which was going on for decades, but not everybody had a phone. And so I think that on a social justice level, uh, the technology is helping us. And also, uh, when something can really uh, light up the human spirit, that that can go viral instead of just dying alone in a, in a one room uh, basement apartment, because it didn't have the, uh, the money to get itself out there. I think that that's terrific. This art form, which is not very respected, Michael, if you think about it, uh, actors are, as we talked about earlier, they generally thought of as like, oh, they're hot, uh, they learn their lines, uh, they have Twitter followers, and that's it. But yeah. the roots of this, and uh, you see this alluded to in my book, the roots of this art form go back 30,000, 40,000 years in prehistory uh, to when in the Paleolithic, for example, people lived in caves. But there was a desire and a need for some kind of connection, more humane by virtue of their humanity.
0: And we can put that under culture, right? <laughs> I mean, I know that God gave uh, actors and, uh, and actresses and plays and the whole, you know, because of, there is something that needs to be nourished in the human spirit and the human soul. And so those are agents, if you will, right, that do all that and, and you're, that's our
1: job.
0: Yeah. And you're the coach. You're the coach and the teacher as well. So how does it work as far as when people get in touch with you and they'll read something, a monologue? And what is the kind of interaction that you have with people? I mean, are you constantly writing emails to people? You have acting sessions on Skype. So that's a good use of social. Uh, I, I don't do Skype. Oh, you don't do Skype. Sorry. No. This is the first time
1: I've talked to a computer ever.
0: <laughs> wow. It's, uh, don't
1: do Skype. People ask me to Skype, and I say, no, I don't, I don't do that.
0: Okay, so you don't do that. But, but, you know, what are the things that you do? Because I, I know that people are going to want to, when they find out more about you, certainly in reading your book, once again, Acting 2.0, doing work that gets work in a high-tech world, Anthony Abeson, famed acting coach, is with us. So how, do, uh, how does the whole thing work when people get a hold of you?
1: Well, what they do is they... I've never advertised in my life. So it is always an interesting story. It's always word of mouth. Um, Whether it's a friend or an agent or a casting director, uh, uh, somebody sends them to me. They go on my website. They fill out an audition form. We make an appointment for them. And then they come in. And for 30 minutes, they, they perform their monologue. They don't read it. They, they've memorized it. That's a requirement. I work with them on that monologue. Then I do some stuff with them to make sure that their hearts are still open because I can't work with them if their hearts are not open. And then the final thing that may surprise you, Michael, is we ask them to do a cold reading of a sitcom. Really? Because that will show me whether or not that acting impulse is present.
0: That's interesting. I, th- I thought you were going to say whether or not they're funny or not or whether they have comedic chops or not, but it's just to see because most of it is sharing lines. I mean, in, in real life, they're what? Declarative statements. People say something and the and the other person talks and um, I, I'll bet just the listening factor. Do you, do you ever just... Look at the actors and say, you know, that person isn't waiting to say something. They're actually engaged in listening, and uh, perhaps that's the the standout actor. That is, you can maybe tell the difference. I don't know.
1: Well, that's incredibly important, Michael, uh, especially in film and television. There's a thing called the reaction shot, and we work a lot of that uh, on, on that in class. Uh, if you watch anything on on a screen, you will see that the coverage shifts from the person who's talking while they're talking to the person who's listening and casting has told me for years that a lot of what determines who and how they cast is to some extent their ability to listen because when the coverage shifts let's say i'm talking to you right now which i am the camera's on me but it's going to then go to you and if you're just blank <laughs> bottom of this moment is going to drop out but if you are actively engaged in the listening and thinking about what you're hearing then the reaction shot is going to add to uh, what's going on rather than detract so you're right the listening is terribly important another thing about this culture michael which i'm sure you can notice is that fewer and fewer people listen to one another yeah that's and of for course, sure. actors are, are humans, uh, except for that remark by Zero Mustel, actors are human beings, but not if you've ever eaten with one. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I never heard they, that. Sorry. That's funny.
1: <laughs> they can't be uh, immune to the culture. And this is a culture which is increasingly, um, I think, uh, polarized. I think there's less and less listening to one another and there's no way you can be an actor in this culture and not be in danger of uh, contracting some of that disease. So we have to work very hard on something that used to be very, very basic. Just listening.
0: That's such a good point for everything. I mean, not just for acting. That's just, I mean, and I recently, I haven't been watching the TV very much. And already, I'm having more of appreciation for quiet or peace or being alone with my thoughts or just having alternatives other than, you know, I think we can be overly stimulated sometimes. And uh, and if you don't mind me saying, like, you know, I'll look at the Godfather movie, okay? And there'll be a stillness about Al Pacino just looking into the camera with his eyes, and and you know, it's we're not we're so overstimulated today that would you ever find something like that where someone is just gazing into the camera for seconds or minutes on end uh it always has to be moving so quick are you surprised uh we have to you know cut to this and cut to that and cut to that and, and there's and uh, not only are we not listening as much perhaps we don't like you say we don't have as much patience perhaps
1: well i think that's one of the downsides of the uh the social media of the devices because it's all very, very, very quick. Uh, years ago, I mean, I mean, many years ago, uh, as I say, I'm 73, but during the news, uh, a politician would be allowed to speak for sometimes 30 seconds, sometimes even a minute. There would be a real thoughtful presentation of that person's views. And now that has devolved into something that we call sound bites, which can't be more than a few seconds at most, and that is a reflection, Michael, of how increasingly less thoughtful the whole idea of personal communication has become.
0: So you, in your book, Acting 2.0, do you take everything in your life's work, all the people that we talked about, Stella Adler, Lee Strasberg, uh, who you, again, worked under, and uh, or do you have your own method?
1: Uh, what, what I think I've arrived at is a uh a compilation or a uh a uh tapestry uh, uh, that would be a lovely way to think about it uh i have woven together what uh seems to have spoken to me from my five teachers that i believed when i was a younger man were the giants in their field and i One of the other things, Michael, that I'm really worried about is the tendency nowadays for people to, as I said earlier, uh, have a recipe, and that can't be for humans, obviously. But also, going along with the recipe, there is the idea of the guru. Like, if there's a a recipe, then there must be a guru who can uh, give you that recipe. Mm. And because I worked with people who were so contradictory. Peter Brook, who was originally from the Royal Shakespeare Company in England, and Jerzy Grotowski, who was experimental theater practitioner in Poland, and Lee and Stella, who I said didn't talk to one another, and Howard Klerman, who worked with them in the group theater. I was lucky enough to be exposed to such contradictory influences that I like to believe I am I've been inoculated against recipes and against the idea of gurus. Um, uh, I tell my kids all the time in class, the only guru is the kangaroo. <laughs>
0: all right. Well, <laughs> I, I get that.
1: But it's a very great danger to, 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 to take something as human and as distinct as uh, a, a person's talent and tell that talent, you can only do it this way. I think mm. that is a very destructive way to approach something as alive and as individual as talent. I agree. As
0: as possible. I agree. I'm sure there are many people that get into acting because of that, because there's maybe too many rules in, uh, in regular life or some ordinary job. And the fact that there's no limits when it comes to the human expression or acting and all the different emotions. I mean, how can you, like you said, have a recipe for so many different human feelings and emotions? You can't.
1: And yet, Michael, there are a lot of places, and I'm not objective because I also run an active training program, but there are a lot of places right in New York that really subscribe to the idea that it has to be this way and only this way. And a lot of people have come to me from those places, and I see them visibly relax when they're allowed to maybe embrace other things besides what they've been told was the only way.
0: It's a shame people get exposed. I mean, you're one of the good guys, the most respected, well, you know, acting coaches, Anthony Apeson. Uh, but there are other people who don't want the human spirit to soar, and they come out and they're <laughs> and they're like, uh, I don't know, Mills, or when it comes to, hey, you get your head shot, and you have to pay such and such, and I mean, there's scoundrels in the business too. People get. Yes. To-
1: I, I'm sorry to say yes. There, there are, uh, in in a lot of ways. Some of it is uh, uh, financial. Some of it, as you've been reading about, is sexual. Some of it has to do with um, uh, ego. Um, and I'm sorry sure that uh, by by no means am I uh, perfect. But I really really find that those are our sins against uh the talent and the human spirit of the actor it can't be about it can't be about the teacher it has to be about the actor
0: that's such a good point people and you know something i think i i thought of these mega churches even where there's that one charismatic figure let's just say yeah. and everyone goes because of the the person and then they fall or whatever the case may be but it's not it's not about uh you as they say you know it's not about the guru it's about the uh it's about the craft as well
1: about it should be about the craft and should be about the person in the craft and it should not I say this again should not be about the teacher i say this a lot of times in class it's not about me it's about you because there is a very long-standing tendency to say oh my acting teacher is the greatest thing since sliced bread but at that moment you're making a fundamental error because you're making it about them. And Michael, I believe that there are two stages of immaturity. And one stage is where you seek to be a disciple. But there's another stage of, mat- of immaturity, which is the stage where you seek
0: to have disciples. Hmm. Is that a good place? Oh, yes, because you're making people better. I'm sorry. Is that Are we talking about the guru now, or are we talking yes. about that? That's yes, a,
1: I'm saying that that is the stage of immaturity.
0: I see. That's
1: not good. To, correct. Want to be a guru <laughs> and have disciples, or to want to have a guru and be a
0: disciple. I see. I, both of those are stages of immaturity that should be avoided. That makes sense. And how about you? Do you go to... Uh, a lot of these uh, films, I'm sure. Do you go to the films that your students are in, or do you go to a lot of Broadway shows, or how do you how do you relax? Because you're dealing with a lot of um, maybe creative tension or creative joy, and uh, but how do you how do you go ahead and uh, and relax with, uh, being an acting coach?
1: Well, you know, M- Michael, because I do what I love. It's not like I have this horrible job in a cubicle and I can't stand it, and I really need to unwind. Uh, I am. I work many many hours a day, but I'm doing what I love. I generally don't have a chance even to watch my students when they're on TV. I'm always saying to them, send me a clip. Uh, this Tuesday, this coming Tuesday, I am going to see Mean Girls on Broadway because I coached two of the women in that. Uh, and uh, Wonderful. They. Uh, I wanted to see it before one of them leaves. But that's a very rare uh, occasion for me. I can only go Tuesday because... I'm not back at work until the next day. But most of the time, uh, I, I, I don't need to uh, relax. I just need to spend time with my family.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, you said in your book how connection is important, but you're talking about actors, but why not family as well? So Anthony, I want to ask you, what is, what is the life really of an actor? You watch you know, Entertainment Tonight or all these shows on television, but from your standpoint, your vantage point, really. What is the life of an actor to you? Well, it's, it's very
1: difficult. Let's say, let's say you have talent. Uh, You have to spend a tremendous amount of time just getting an agent and or a manager to believe in you enough to submit you for auditions. And during the time that you don't have an agent or a manager, you have to try to generate your own auditions, which is very difficult. Then let's say you finally get an agent or a manager. Then you get auditions and you get rejected. And then sometimes this is what the public doesn't see. And then maybe after six months or a year, you finally get a call back, which means, oh my God, they want to see me again. And you get the call back, and you still don't get the part. Mm. I've been to so many people. And then sometimes you get a second get call back, and you think, oh, my God, I'm getting really close. Sometimes they'll fly you to L.A. for a screen test, and you still won't get the part.
0: Gee wins.
1: I went through that just uh, about a week ago with a young woman in class. Uh, there's I can't even mention the name because it's a, it's a sort of a big project, mm-hmm. uh, big TV project. And you can't mention it here. It, I'm just kidding. You know, I'm just
0: so, joking. Just joking.
1: <laughs> that uh, and we got so close. We we went uh, down to uh, the the first audition and the callback and the second callback and then the screen test and the producer session the director's session and it went. It came down to her and one other girl and the other girl got it and. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, that that's good on one sense because her representation knows like, oh, she got close to this. But think about all the investment and the effort that went into getting close and still not booking it. But at the same time, uh, uh, I coached another young woman on the same project and um, she's been doing... Uh, what we call guest stars, if you know what those are, where yes, you'll be on you'll be on a, uh, an episode of a of a series, and you'll have a nice little part, but that's about it. And that's what I call going around the mountain. Hmm. And this young lady, uh, again, I coached her and coached her, and we got closer and closer and closer. Uh, and she had a director session, a producer session, a screen test, and she booked it, and so. Once in a while, <laughs> you you get to go up the mountain, but a lot of times you're going around the mountain, and that's when your appetite, which can't be taught, is the thing that keeps you going.
0: Mm-hmm. Now I have that song. She'll be coming around the mountain when she comes. That's <laughs> yeah. But yep. Uh, you mentioned that in your book, chapter twenty-two, casting directors' impatience and, and negativity. Mm-hmm. So you could find that in your book. Feedback too late and. Uh, These type of things that you're mentioning right now. And then uh, when it comes to, I'm sure, the marketing part of there. And I just want to ask you, are there moments where there are people who have talent, but it's the person who takes this more like a business and begins to learn the business end of it and has greater success? Maybe not as much talent, but took the time to learn the business sense of it and succeeded. Do you see that as well? And do you teach people how to succeed in the business end of it? Or how do you recommend that they do it?
1: Well, they do. If they have a manager or an agent, Michael, uh, that's really the job of their representation. That's why you pay your agent 10%, you pay your manager 10 or 15%. It, it changes uh, in, in the hopes that they will navigate that business stuff for you. Now, at the same time, uh, in one of my chapters, I talk about finding the recess and recession. It is important to know what's going on, to know what's being cast, to know about the business. Uh, but I would hope that it would not start to become only about that. As I say, that's that why uh, uh, an agent is so terribly important, because they can take that off of your shoulders and hopefully handle it in a really good way. If I may quote Mr. Christ for a moment. Yes. Yes. Um, uh, I believe that he said, behold, I send you as sheep amongst the wolves, and therefore you have to be as subtle as serpents. And um, the trick for the actor is to stay as innocent and open-hearted as the sheep, but at the same time to be smart as serpents insofar as navigating what can sometimes be a pretty, a pretty tough business.
0: That is good advice, because people can find themselves, as we're finding on television, going to the wrong room. <laughs> you think you're in the casting room you're in someone else's room you know and you have to watch it uh as you mentioned um and jennifer aniston i just want to say that you know as she talks about the beginning that she thought people were laughing at her and <laughs> you had to explain no you actually have a comedic talent you're actually funny interesting how she went in thinking that you know i'm a serious actress yes and had a gift that you know, she wasn't aware of you had to draw that to her, her attention that this is not bad. That's happening here. And of course, making a, uh, uh a living at both as a serious actress, but of course on friends as a, uh, having that comedic uh, chomp. So um it, that seemed to be the thing where, you know, the heavens open for her <laughs> and uh, she realized that uh, I can go in that direction. No shame in being funny. Right.
1: Well, uh, yes. In fact, uh, somewhere, uh, I don't know if it's on my website or in my book, but Jennifer was kind enough to say I was the first man to tell her that she was funny, uh, <laughs> which is astonishing to me. But she, what she did, and I try to explain this in my book, was that she, she achieved something extraordinary, which was to solve a problem that people had been stumped by for a hundred years, which was Why did Chekhov call his plays comedies when they seemed to be so sad? Um, Chekhov himself complained to Stanislavsky, who was the first director of his plays, you're making all my characters cry babies because they seem to be very melancholy. And then here was this teenager who got up and solved it. She found the the funny in Chekhov and uh, that was remarkable. Uh, but what was even more remarkable <laughs> was that she was upset <laughs> about it. <laughs> she just solved this 100-year-old puzzle and solved it beautifully. Uh, but as she says, um, she came off stage and she was really upset. Um, why are they laughing? Uh, I'm a serious actress. And what uh, what I tried to share with her was that uh, that was – uh, not only not a bad thing, that was a pretty wonderful thing.
0: It's a pretty amazing thing. It's funny how, my goodness, and, and then you get these people who are funny today, right? Like a Jim Carrey or someone who was funny, right? And then uh, and then they want to be serious, and then people want them back to be funny again and say, what happened to you? What happened to Eddie Murphy? What happened, you know, people who are funny, they have the gift, they try to be serious, and then, I mean, it's just a journey anyway. They want to take that journey. They're not at that point. They're not concerned about the fame anymore, or the money. They just want to go on a journey. If they want to go into those serious waters, uh, let them. Right?
1: Yes, and that's called developing your talent. And there is a very long history going back to the 18th century and before, of and it's documented of very famous comedians. Uh, going back to England, let's say, in the 18th century, who have des- desired nothing more than to be tragedians. And many times they have succeeded. I don't know why there is in the uh, comedic personality a talent for his, for tragedy, but uh, a lot of times there is. And I would just urge any actor of any talent to realize that it's precious, uh, again, uh, wasn't it the parable of the talents uh, that said, no, don't bury the talent in the ground, make it grow.
0: That's exactly right. That's it. So you see, you think a lot of people out there that they may have the thought, but they bury that uh, that inspiration in the ground, and therefore they don't, you know, there could be people right now listening, maybe a teacher or someone or a construction worker, and they have it in them. You hear these stories all the time, and then they... Uh, you know, they head off to uh, California and they make it.
1: Or they don't. Or
0: they or they don't. <laughs>
1: we have, uh, Michael, remember there, there's a lot of, there are a lot of valid reasons why people are hesitant to embark on this journey. One is uh, we have tremendously high unemployment, uh, regardless of the economy, regardless of the, uh, who's president, uh, we just have very, very high unemployment. Uh, I once was told a figure of 85% unemployment. We hear about the, the, the stars who make tremendous amounts of money, but the vast majority of actors are not making tremendous amounts of money. And most of them have to have uh, a second or a third job. And so there's, there's the economics that militate against taking that plunge. Uh, there's also the tremendous rejection that comes with it, as I uh, alluded to earlier, because it it's terrible when your painting is rejected or mm. your poem is rejected. I understand that. But it's really hard when you're the painting and you're the poem.
0: <laughs> so, in other words, there's no nice way about it. You're being rejected. <laughs> yep. Yep. Some people say it's not you. You're not being rejected. It's, it's, uh, it's this not, or the other thing. No, no. You're saying you are being rejected
1: because you are the violinist and the violin.
0: <laughs> That's true. And, uh, last question here, famous. Uh, do you have a favorite actor and do you have a favorite director?
1: Wow. Uh, I, I, I don't have the time to think of a favorite
0: actor. Smart man. Cause uh, <laughs> you coach a lot of actors. Go ahead.
1: Uh, And I honestly, I know there are directors that I admire, uh, but it's very hard for me to conjure one up. I I don't want to say one because I'm going to regret immediately that I didn't say mothers. Uh, But I'll I'll tell you one from long ago, Ingmar Bergman. I thought he was a great actor-director for film.
0: Hmm. Well, you've uh, coached the best of them. Jennifer Aniston, of course, we've uh, mentioned her, and many from the uh, Vampire Diaries, Orange is the New Black, Mike and Molly, there's Reno Wilson and more, and uh, it's always... Yeah, just
1: plug Reno, I want to say. He's now on a new show called, I think, uh, uh, Good Girls.
0: And what? You, what is that? Is that on uh, NBC or ABC, or which one is that?
1: It's on a network, and um, it's about three women who have start to rob banks or something. And he's one of their husbands. I think it's called good girls. So the good news is that they're working.
0: Yes, that's right. And they're working in many times. Thanks to you, Anthony Apeson Well, f-
1: <laughs> I, I think uh, it has something to do with their talent. That's why the subtitle of my book is doing work that gets work
0: in a high tech world. Yeah. Well, you have something to do with it, and you have been for over 30 years in New York. Anthony Apeson, our special guest, his book, Acting 2.0, once again, doing work that gets work in a high-tech world, and he has coached the best of them and will continue, and if you have a desire, why not speak with him? And uh, can people go on your website? Yes,
1: there's a, there's a, of course they can go on my website, and there's a, an audition form that they can fill out.
0: Okay, and so it's Anthony anthonyabeson.com. Dot com. Dot com. Is that right? Yes. Dot com. Wow. You shared a lot of, uh, you know, jewels here and uh, and a lot we can go even more. I'm sure there's been a lot to, to share over the years. And uh, thank you for all the work that you do and for uh, setting that soul free, if you will, you know, where people can use this God given creativity to do great things. And as you say, in the process, you know, change people out there. Their responsibility with great talent, you say, comes great responsibility. and yes how we can make the human condition even better. Thank you for your work, and uh, may God bless you.
1: Oh, Michael, thank you, and God bless you too.
0: Our sponsors with over 90 years' experience in developing audio electronics, Bayer Dynamics stands for innovative audio products with the highest sound quality and pioneering technology. And by Hamilton Stands, founded in 1883 in Hamilton, Ohio. Hamilton Stands is the oldest music and instrument stand maker in the world. They offer a broad range of sheet music stands, band and orchestra instrument stands, and combo stands, including mic stands, guitar and keyboard stands, and accessories. In fact, the broadcast you're listening to is made using a Hamilton stage rocker mic stand. Visit HamiltonStands.com. And Auralex Acoustics has one mission.